0: Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. In this session, Chris Vallotton will be sharing a message entitled "Holy Affection." Lately, I just been thinking about affection and intimacy and and love, and I was—it's kind of amazing tonight. I, just, just all day, I've been just trying to figure out what I was going to share on today, and and um, sort of settled on on. Um, creating a culture that really has a vehicle that to display love. And we were singing, I was thinking about passion and affection and intimacy, and the last two songs were about passion and about love and intimacy, and then I noticed that our prophetic artist up there draws a heart. I don't know what it says in the middle there. Does it say passion? Oh, that rocks right there. (laughs) See, that's a lot better than a feather. I think anyway and um, turn to Matthew 24 and we'll just start there and just see where this goes Matthew 24 verse 12 we'll kind of start on the negative side first it's Jesus talking about the signs of the times verse 9 then they will deliver you to tribulation. Oh, this is encouraging. Let's skip right down the verse. <laughs> this is bad enough. Verse twelve. How's that? Because of lawless, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And um, I looked up the word uh, "cold" there, and it means to cool something by blowing on it. And I was. Uh, let me give you a couple more scriptures, just so you can kind of get an idea where I'm going. Second Timothy uh, chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says um, this, Realize this, in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful and arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, un- ungrateful and unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, and so on and so forth. The, pe- the piece I want to pick up on, of course, is the, un- the word unloving. It means without affection and unsociable. Um, I've been thinking so much lately about how, how starving, how much people are starving for affection and how um, cold our culture is becoming um, towards really being able to express the love of God. And how many of you know that you can, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving? See, the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave. See, love needs to be expressed, or it isn't love at all. 1 Corinthians is a shocking verse, uh, chapter 13, that you've probably read, where it's some of the most famous verses in the Bible, where it says um, that I can give my body to be burned, I can do this, I can do that. I can do all these things and not have love. So here's the paradox. I can give and not love, but I can't love. And not give. And, um, and love needs an expression. It needs a vehicle in which to find expression. And I know that um, a lot of expression in love is just the giving uh, like Jesus did where he gave himself in the sense that he sacrificed himself. But I just want to take it to a different level right now. I, I think that there's a, there's a love that when we t- think about love in the church, and I'm talking about. I'm making a general statement. I think that mostly we think about the expression of love in worship, or we think about the expression of love in like financial giving. And I think that we're beginning to be um, we're beginning to be sensitized to the fact that love needs to be expressed in passion and affection. And so much has happened in our culture to to cause us to withdraw. Our passions and our affections and especially towards one another. It's interesting that Jesus said in the 24th chapter of Matthew that we read, he said because of lawlessness, men's hearts will grow cold. And I was thinking about this um, a little while ago. In fact, we were talking to students about it. In fact, this message just kind of came from uh, just a, a folly talk with our students. Sexual impurity and immorality and pornography and um, molestation, and the list just goes on. Sexual sexual sin in our culture is so rampant. It's so out of control that I, I think that, that that really plays a huge part into why people's affection has grown cold, why people blow cold air on the hot flames of their heart so that they won't have expressions that look like impurity. What I'm getting at is that I, probably most people in this room, and there will be exceptions. Thank God, there's exceptions. Thank God that in, in, that our home is an exception. I hope that your home is too. But so many of us grew up in a culture where the boundaries between uh, sexuality and um, affection, those boundaries were broken. And when those boundaries get broken in our life, and for instance, and I'll try to be as general as I can because I realize that we have a mixed audience tonight. But when, that, when those boundaries get broken, when, when the, uh, the boundary between affection and sexuality gets broken, and you understand what I mean, your adults understand what I'm talking about. When those boundaries get broken, especially by people in authority, our fathers, our mothers, our uncles, people that are older than us especially, we begin to get the person, when the person who's supposed to teach me love abuses me in those manners, in that manner, and I'm talking about sexual abuse especially, that when the person who's supposed to teach me love breaks those boundaries, sex and love get all mixed up, sex and affection get all mixed up in our lives. And when those boundaries get broken, and we come into a place of, uh, in Christ, and we get, we get saved, or we get right with God, and we begin to read the Bible, and, and all the um, the holiness that's in the Bible, and, and how we're supposed to keep ourselves from immorality, we start to read about how immorality and impurity and all the things that we came out of is wrong, we begin, if we don't deal with the issues of our heart, we, we try to build boundaries around ourselves so that, uh, so that we, um, we don't infect someone or so we don't do something we're not supposed to do. Are you with me? I end up creating walls around me so that I keep myself safe from immorality and purity, and especially if I've struggled myself with pornography and some of the other sexual sins myself, if I struggle with those things and I haven't really solved those issues in my heart, I end up restraining my affection so that I don't end up doing something that I'm not supposed to be doing to someone. Am I making any sense? I I don't know if I am. But in other words, if I if I have a if I have a, a struggle with sexualizing. Uh, people, then I tend to withdraw my affection from them uh, keep my hands to myself and not want to uh, physically touch anybody or do anything that will help to uh, blow uh, you know blow uh, blow on the on that heart and and create passion because my passions are misplaced and so in order for my passion to not be misplaced, I blow cold air on my the, on my heart so that the coals of my heart will grow cold, not because I don't want to love people, but because I'm trying to keep myself in some kind of purity. And sexual sin is so rampant in our society, and I don't think that most of us realize what's happening. The enemy, of course, he, he'd love for us to fall in, into that sin, but the greater thing that the enemy's trying to do is keep the love of God out of the church. And we don't even realize it, but we've been duped into thinking that sexual sin is, is, is a sin that's against myself. In other words, it's individual. If I can just keep this, you know, if I have a struggle with pornography, it's kind of my individual problem of not realizing that when I withdraw affection, that I take away the vehicle in which the love of God is supposed to be propagated and, 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 uh, and, and fulfilled in the church. Now... Just follow me for a second and see if you, you know, anything in your life that perpetuates has its own eco-cycle. If you have a sin in your life that you can't get out of, it's because your sin has created its own cycle where it feeds itself. In other words, how many of you have ever had a sin that, you know what, you confessed it? You, you told somebody, you confessed it to the Lord, you repented of it, and went away. How many of you ever had those? Oh, gosh, I hope some of you had those. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Some of your marbles got out. I noticed maybe someone is playing with our marbles. <laughs> yeah, but then there's other sins. How many of you ever, I won't have you raise your hand this time, but how many have been involved? sins in your life that they seem to just go on and on. You can't seem to get out of it. Anytime you have a pattern in your life that you can't escape from, it's because it's created its own system of survival. It's feeding off itself. I want to just propose to you that sexual, uh, when we have sexual sin, that it perpetuates itself like this. If I have a struggle with pornography, I tend to withdraw my affection. Just to try to keep me and everybody around me safe. Hopefully, I, you know, let me put it this way: If you have a, tr- if you have guys, if you have trouble sexualizing women, you shouldn't be touching them. So I'm telling you, like this is a good thing till you deal with this heart thing. But let me just tell you what happens. Let's say I'm a father, like I am, and I have a struggle with pornography, and I've got like I have two daughters. And so it's like, you know, when they're teenagers, they're pretty and I want to make sure that I don't sexualize them because they're my daughters. I know it's wrong. So to to try and keep perversion out of my home, I withdraw my affection from them. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but I just created another problem. (laughs) Because now those girls are starving for affection. (laughs) Follow me for just a minute. I just created generational sin. It's generational because it self-perpetuates, and I just created a cycle in my family's life. And if someone doesn't come in and break that cycle, I'm going to end up with a a house in perversion and probably generations of perversion by just my own impurity. I withdraw my affection from my two daughters because when I touch them, I tend to sexualize them because i got my own problems going on. Maybe on the internet, maybe with magazines, maybe with just my thought life. And so I don't want to touch them because... I can't keep my, my mind pure when I just hug them or kiss them. It gets weird. So I withdraw my affection. Now what happens? Now my daughters, who are supposed to be learning love from their father, haven't been loved. There's no vehicle. Remember, love isn't love until it's given. And I've withdrawn, I've withdrawn the truck that takes love to their house. I say I love you. Maybe, hopefully, I still say I love you. Maybe that maybe that even feels a little perverted because of the places that I've said it before. And we'll just leave it at that so you can figure that out. But I withdraw my affection. Now i got two daughters, which I do happen to have two daughters. I've got two daughters that are starving for affection. Guess what happens when they start to date? They, they're vacuumed. They got a vacuum in their heart that is sucking. It's a big sucking sound, and they're looking for affection. Now, hopefully, they meet a young man. They meet young men who have purity and have their whole life solved. This purity issue in their own life solved. But most likely, they're going to meet someone in their teens who's got their own hormonal problems. Are you with me? Yeah, and maybe they got their generational stuff going on if they really, you know, hello, that would be terrible if my girls wound up with someone whose father withdrew his love from them, from the boys, for the same reason, or some similar reason, or there's some hundreds of reasons why people show no affection. And then I'm like, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, well, my girls, they would never do anything wrong. They're starving for affection. Now, what happens in their life? Let's say that what normally happens, and I say normal like not okay normal, but let's, let's change the word. Commonly happens. Is that they end up in sexual sin. And what happens when they end up in sexual sin? They end up withdrawing their affection. <laughs> Are you following me? Why? Because they went and found love in the wrong places. Because they're dealing with it in their own lives. They end up withdrawing their affections so that they don't have sexual impurity and the whole process winds down from generation to generation. We're all withdrawing our affections so we can try to keep some sense of boundaries in our life so we don't let perversion fall on our children. And the truth of the matter is there's a whole nother level of perversion. Uh, It's a perversion of affection. We're living in, do you realize, it's, Jesus said, in the last days, he's not talking about the church, he's talking about the temptation is that in the world, the love of many is growing cold. Why? Because of lawlessness and perversion. I'll tell you something, you know, ha ah, this, this is really close to my heart. I want to tell you, I'm not just giving you a message. I, I've been grieving over this for weeks. It's been coming to the surface more and more in my own heart. And I'm like, you know, this like Jesus is eating dinner at a Pharisee's house. Now, you got to understand, a Pharisee in our culture would be more like the governor's house. These guys had power. These weren't just religious people. The religious people actually governed the people. So he's having dinner at the religious person's house. A girl, uninvited, comes walking through the door. She's a whore, a prostitute. And she starts weeping and wiping his feet with her wet hair. Lord, have mercy. I mean, it'd be bad enough if some woman did that. Can you imagine if some woman came and did that in the middle of a church service to Pastor Bill? Uh, we'd be like, I mean, I know everybody would be like, is this all right? be a whole nother level if we knew that she was in the red light district and she wasn't saved yet. This woman wasn't saved yet. There was no salvation till after the cross. She sort of likes Jesus. Probably he was being kind to her without perverting it. What happens when you actually show honest affection to people and you don't have ulterior motives? They tend to fall in love with you. It's never had that going on before. And so she's washing his feet. And the disciples are like, the Pharisees are like, this man was really a prophet. They know who was washing his feet. Jesus says, Peter, i got something to ask you. It's all okay. <laughs> one man was forgiven a little bit, and one man was forgiven a lot who loves the most. Oh, I have the right answer to that one. Good. Well, she's the one who loves the most. Get a life. See, what we've done in the church, well, don't wash my feet. Don't do that. Holy cow, what are people going to think? Well, you know what? They need to get a life too. Because I'll tell you something, the people who think perverted stuff is going on are the people who've got a problem with perversion in the first place. And I'm going to tell you something, we've let those people control our culture. We've let those people tell us how to find expression for the love of God. Now, here's the problem with preaching to a wide audience. I'm going to make a guess, and it's probably low. 25% of you have a problem with perversion. I would just, just not... That's not a prophetic thing. It's just a guess. Probably more than that. So, when we start talking about creating a culture of affection, a bunch of you are smiling. Some of you are like, oh no, I'm gonna be under pressure to perform something that everyone's gonna know that I got a problem with perversion because I'm gonna have to continue to withdraw. Or you're gonna use it as, you end up using it as a vehicle in which to propagate your perversion, which is the reason why we've withdrawn love. And the bottom line is, we're becoming just like the world, cold. No intimacy. In the name of purity, and it just stinks. I'm going to tell you just that, the way I feel in my spirit, it just stinks. I don't like it. And I don't know, to be honest, I feel a little bit like Solomon, not that I was wise like Solomon, but you know, when God made Solomon king, he gave him one wish in a dream. And he said, and I think he was being very honest when he said to God in this dream, God, you've given me this great people, but I really don't even know how to come in or go out. I'm like a little boy. And you know the struggle I have? I feel the same way. Because what I, what I feel very deeply like the church of a living God needs to restore affection. And yet I know that as soon as I open that door, that right behind it is perversion, all the reasons why there's no affection. And I told the Lord tonight, I don't know what to do about that, but I can't keep from telling the truth. And the truth is that affection and passion need to be returned to the church. And one thing I saw that that Pastor Earl began to bring to this church in the 70s was passion and affection for God. And that's so awesome that I see people that are just incredibly passionate for God, just doing crazy stuff, and I love it. And you know, honestly, if it's coming from a pure heart, the crazier it is, the more I love it. I really, I mean that earnestly. I I don't like when people do freaky things just because they're freaky. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Everybody's got that like, oh, come get a life. But when people who are just love God are just expressing themselves and they get passionate, I think it's so cool. And then I watch us, when we get done worshiping, try to express some passion for one another. <laughs> and it goes, whoop! And I'm like, this is weird. That we we have learned to express love to God and passion to God and so many of us have learned to just break all boundaries and go, I don't care what anybody thinks, God. I love you with an everlasting love. You saved my life. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even have a brain. I wouldn't even have a mind. Personally, I would be insane right now. I was, in, I was borderline insane for three and a half years. If God wouldn't be in my life, I'd be in an insane asylum. I so owe him my life. I have no problem expressing it to him. And then when it comes to, like, people, it's like, something like, I don't want to, like, look like there's some weird thing going on. And it's just so sad that we can't, like, take what we're learning here and actually, like, bring it into the relationship with one another. Some people can't even say, I love you. Because, I love you, was whispered at times that we can't talk about here because we have a mixed congregation and mixed audience and and I love you has sexual connotations to it. And so they even withdraw their words and people are just so starving just to be touched. Now there's two little girls I love. They come running up to me all the time up here. They They don't have a dad. And they just hang on my leg. When I'm worshiping, and they're just so cute. I just look forward to seeing them. And um, this weird thing happens to me sometimes. You'll have to forgive me for this. I've never, I don't think I've ever told anybody this publicly, although I've taught on it and tried to keep my name out of it. There are times when the Lord opens my mind and I can hear what people are thinking, it sort of drives me crazy. And I just try not to talk about that because it makes other people crazier (laughs) and I have to be honest it doesn't happen most of the time but sometimes the Lord opens my mind and I know what people are thinking and once in a while when those little girls come up front here it really bothers me what people are thinking I don't like it and I have chosen to not let that I have chosen to not withdraw affection because (laughs) some people are offended, and these little girls, you know, they jump on, one, on my lap and they hang off of one of my legs, and you know, they just—they just need what we all need. You know, they're just little girls who need a father's love, and um, this is totally not doing anything inappropriate, unless you've had daddy do something bad to you, and then you can get things going on that aren't going on there. Are you are you with me? Are you following me? It's just so important that we just begin to like defy the law of lawlessness. And it begins by us getting our own stuff right. You know, if you have a problem with impurity, immorality, pornography, and the list goes on and on. I'm just giving you a few of them. If you have a problem with that stuff, man, you need to get it right because you're robbing the rest of the body of affection that's supposed to be happening here. You know, I'm like you. Sometimes we have people come into our church, and we know because we welcome everybody, and we really do pretty much welcome everybody unless somebody, if some wolf gets in here, and then we sort of watch him. We've ushered a few out in the last few weeks. You probably didn't know that. Some try to do it in a way that people don't, we don't make a big old scene. But sometimes, you know, the guys come up here and they're watching the dancers. And, you know, they're watching. I mean, the dancers are, you know, I mean, they're supposed to be watched if they're up on stage or whatever. But they got some other thing going on. It's pretty obvious. You know, and that bothers me. It's like, well, what do you do? Not have dancers or... I mean, hello, and always somebody comes and says, you know, that thing's happening, I don't know if we should have the dancers up there, I mean, that happens nearly every time we have some perverted person that's obviously like, you know, some people are a little bit like, they're kind of sly about it, and then there's other people just walk right up to the front, I mean, they're so in the world, they just think everyone's doing that, I'm a girl watcher, (laughs) you know, they're like, isn't that what we're all doing? I'm like, wow, this is a cool church, they put them up there so we can see them. I just don't have a clue that that's not what we're doing. <laughs> that's the truth. I mean, have you seen some of the people come up here over the years? I mean, they would just have people walk right up here, and they're just like, "Wow, this is this is like going to the bar. This, look, they got dancers here. This is awesome." <laughs> you know, inevitably somebody wants to stop the dancers. They want to like, well, we shouldn't be doing that because it stimulates people, and it's like, no, people need to get their heart right. We can't. We can't have a cold culture so that we can minister to people who struggle with pornography and with those issues in their mind. They just need to get well. You need to get well. If you're one of them, this, unless this isn't a message to curse you. This message is like, hey, you know what? I, I was 18, 19 years old, and I had that struggle. It's like, all right, you know, you've got to deal with it. You know, I, I, we started having our kids. Our, I, we had our first child when I was 22 or 3. How old was, it? How old was I? I was 20. Holy mackerel. Wow, that was young. I was 23 when we had the last ones. Dang, you know, I'm not that old, but I got a lot of miles on my speedometer. Odometer. Oh odometer. odometer. here's a marble, there's one of the marbles, I lost it. <laughs> I'm not listening to you, Banny, shut up. My grandfather, on my dad's side, on my dad's side, my dad drowned when I was three. My grandfather on my dad's side was a pervert. Molested all the girls. One of them committed suicide. Another of them suffered from Great Depression and both her sons committed suicide four years ago, one month apart. I mean perversion just destroyed that side of the family. I've had struggles like a lot of young men do in high school. And then you know my girls are born first i got to make a choice right here. You know, my grandfather molested my, you know, it's in my family line. I struggled with the things that young men sometimes struggle with. I don't mean they all do. I I did. And now I have my first daughter at 20. I mean, I have to make a choice right here. Because uh, every time I'm with her, I have to make a choice of whether or not I'm going to let my family lineage and my personal struggle make me withdraw affection, so that my daughters are looking for love in the wrong places. And that's not, you know, and um, I just decided, I watched Pastor Bill, thankfully, we met uh, Bill and Benny uh, when our daughter was about two. And I watched the way that he had affection, he had boys before he had girls, and he kissed them and hugged them and loved them. And I'm like, you know what, that must be normal. And I'm going to do what's normal. I am not going to do this weird thing so that people don't think I'm doing something to my daughters, because the fact is I'm not. And so if they think that I am, they got a problem. And so my daughters and my sons, (laughs) uh, uh, Jason's not here tonight so I can tell. (laughs) Jason would come and kiss us before high school. Before going to school, when he was in high school, he'd run in, kiss me on the cheek, kiss his mom, "I love you." Ah, half. He still does it. He don't do it in front of you now because he's probably afraid of you guys. But I mean, affection was just a part of our, you know, house. I'll tell you, when my daughters all through school, obviously when they're little, but even when they got older, you know, when they were in high school, I'd sit them next to me. My daughter Shannon, she's a little bit shy, she'd be, "Oh, dad, oh, dad." I'd kiss her and say, oh, bad, when she was in high school, not when she was little. She got to be in high i say, boy, you're beautiful. Oh, Dad. And I'd make her sit there until I said, I'm going to tell you again, you're beautiful. Dad, stop it. She'd always say, Dad, stop it. My oldest daughter, I'd say, you're beautiful. She'd go,
1: thank you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I still tell my daughters they're beautiful. You know, when um, when my daughters were in high school, I, we had four kids in high school at the same time. We had freshmen all the way to senior. I know. <laughs> you know I'm a Christian. <laughs> no wonder I fought off insanity. It was inherited from my children. <laughs> but uh, when when my kids were in high school, they, um, they weren't allowed to date non-Christians and they weren't allowed to go to dances. Now... <laughs> I have to tell you, because if you hear those two things, then you have you get the picture of our home that totally is not accurate. because our kids lived with just a couple of few rules and, the, and mostly were, mostly there was yeses. My kids basically lived with the red with the green light, and once in a while there was a red light. But there was a few rules and you just didn't break those rules. And they were raised from the time they were little to know that. From the time they were little, we taught them, that there is a great benefit in finding a godly man and a godly woman as, the fu- as opposed to someone who's controlled by the devil and on their way to hell. <laughs> it's not very hard to sell the idea, really. It's crazy, you know, to me, I'm going to get a little soapbox here, but it's crazy to me that Christians say they believe in the Bible And then they let their daughters and sons date people who are controlled by the devil, according to Ephesians chapter 2. I wouldn't want my daughter going with someone who's controlled by the devil, don't matter how much he smiled. Because the Bible says that we read Ephesians chapter 2, it'll scare you. But I mean, I don't think you can wake up one day and give those, I don't think it can be a rule. I think it can just be, you know, you teach the benefits. Of them falling in love with someone who loves God, going to heaven, has the blessing of heaven, who has financial provision, and who's smarter than most everybody else, because they got the brains of God, the mind of Christ. And not only that, but they have a real love to give you. Because if you're in the world, you don't have the love of God, so what do you what you're starving for? You can't get from that guy anyway, because his well's dry. Her well's dry too. Let's just be fair to everybody here. So my, my kids, they couldn't date non-Christians. No, let me put it differently. My kids, they, they had the benefit of only dating Christians. Now, sometimes when they got to be teenagers, they go, Dad, do I have to go to church? No. Nope. You get to. <laughs> it's a real benefit. You'll figure it out when you get older. Some people are like, well, you know, I just want my kids to make own, their own choices. Well, you know, if you let them do that, they'll be eating candy bars. You know, I mean, you know, let's face it, they, you, they need a little help, they need a little guidance. You know, I, you know, I know Snickers got peanuts in it, I understand. <laughs> I raised for teenagers, I understand. Elijah today, he's crazy. He walks in, yes, last night he came over our house. He walks right up to me, I'm watching TV. Hi, Papa, how you doing? He said, good. You know what, I'm gonna hit you so hard, you're going to the moon, he tells me, just like that. That's how he gets attention. Thankfully, I caught his fist before he initiated the manifestation. <laughs> and today, he was eating lemons. He goes, oh, can I have the lemon? He sticks his hand in someone's glass and gets it, Claudia's glass and gets the lemon. And then he puts sugar on it. You know, there's the paradox right there. Why would you eat lemons if you put sugar on them? Anyway, yeah, oh, Jesus, help us. Oh, so I started to tell you, so when my I'm sorry, I just like my kids. You got on a rabbit trail. I like rabbits. Anyway, <laughs> this is a marble. When my daughters were in high school, they, they couldn't date non-Christians, and whenever there was a, a, a dance or, or whatever, um, our youth group would have a Christian alternative, and they'd go to the, a movie and take the kids out to dinner, and it was pretty, you know, a pretty big thing. They tried it. They wanted to make it more fun than it would be if they went to the dance, so they worked pretty hard on it. And uh, that happened all, all the years that my kids were in school. It was pretty cool. My daughter Shannon's real social. She talks, she laughs, she's the kind of the life of the party. And my daughter Jamie's real quiet. She like she just as soon read a book then like have a conversation. And so um all through the years that my girls were in high school um when we had they have these Christian alternatives my daughter Shannon would get like 3 you know uh invitations to go with guys. And my daughter Jamie wouldn't get any. And they're both very beautiful. But I mean I mean not just cuz I'm dad but they were both very beautiful girls. And uh and so my daughter, I took my daughter on more dates. I can't tell you how many times I'd go upstairs. Cat say, I think you need to go upstairs. Say, What's going on? i I think you need to go upstairs. I'd go upstairs and Jamie would be laying on the bed two days, three days before the big date. It was a big group thing. You know, they'd go as a group. And she'd say, she'd be crying. She'd say, Daddy, am I ugly? is there something wrong with me? Daddy, it's been two years, and Shannon's, she got three dates, three people asked her to this, and no one asked me. Not one person. Daddy, am I pretty? Daddy, what's wrong with me? How come no one ever asked me to go, Daddy? What's... Why has no one ever asked me to go, Daddy? Why did they all ask Shannon? I answered the phone today, and I thought that this boy was calling. And when when I answered, he said, Hi, Jamie, is Shannon there? Daddy, is there something wrong with me that no one ever asked me to go? Daddy, I don't even care to go. I don't even want to go. I just want them to want me to go. And you don't know how many nights I sat on her bed, and we wept together. It was really, really hard. It's really, really hard. And I would uh, get all dressed up, and you know, and I would say, "I'm taking you on a date. No one, no man's going to take you. Your dad's taking you." And I would uh, take her, and we would just have a great time. And I just had a rule with her. We're not gonna think about other men while you're with your dad tonight. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, you know uh, how many Jamie's there are in this place tonight? But you don't have no dad to tell them, you're really beautiful. If I was your dad, I'd be really proud of you. Two Sundays ago, I think three Sundays ago now, I walked in the back door. It was a Sunday night. And we, were, we were a little bit, I think we were a little early. And I walked in the back. And there was four young girls back there. All uh, young college-age girls. And I walked in the back. And I thought to myself as I walked the door, I didn't say it, I thought. These girls are so beautiful. And then I, I had, the next thought I had is, I should tell them that they're beautiful. And then the next thought I had, I want, this all happen in a second, but I want you to, this, this really happened, this progression. I thought, what will they think if I say that to them? Will they think I'm coming on to them? Or the old man's having a trouble with his sex drive? what is his motivation and so i decided that i wouldn't say anything and then just a split second later and this all happened in less than probably that fast i had this picture of jamie laying on her bed saying to me daddy you know i'm up three. is there something wrong with me is there some reason why no one will even call no boys come on talk to me. There's something wrong with me, Daddy. So I walked up to those girls and I said, How you girls doing? Oh good. Said, you girls are so beautiful. Every one of you, you're so pretty. I don't know if your dads tell you that, but I just I walked in there and I had this thought. Look at those beautiful girls. And I said to them, if I was your dad, I'd be so proud of you. And they just like. <laughs> and I walked away from that. And then, oh, yeah, you got all that stuff that goes on after you do something good. And I'm like, I ignore you in the name of Jesus. Get off of me. I've been trying to make a point. Like, when I'm not, when I'm not leading the service, when Bill's leading or Danny's teaching, or whatever, I try to make a point just like during the worship and stuff just to get out and touch people. I mean like touch people like this. Well that's that's pretty stupid. No people are starving for it. Last week I think it was last week, it may have been two weeks ago, you know how I am, time all runs together for me. A couple of weeks ago in a one week time I had I think eight people come up and say you know, during worship, when you touched me, I don't know, it just made me feel like I was cared about. I had eight different people tell me in some manner that they felt cared about because I touched them. God, I, I don't like to talk to them when they're worshiping. I just like to let them know I'm there. So I'll just touch them or just do that to them. I'm like, you know, I want, that started this thought process for me. Like it intensified it, I should say. I'm like, people are starving for someone just to tell them they love them. You're looking good. And I'll just become aware of like, we're so sterile in our culture. It's like, man, if you did in in here what I did in my home with my kids, people would be wondering what kind of thing you got going on. And I don't know. That just can't. I don't know how we're gonna get past that. Look, I don't have the answer. But I because because I don't want perversion to be increasing us. But I just feel like we gotta get back. To the real love of God. Jesus said something in the second chapter of, are you guys alright? Okay. I don't know if I'm being boring because I'm like doing my fatherly just ranting thing. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. I don't know if if maybe this maybe you won't agree with this, but he said, I've got this against you. You've lost your first love. Now, I've always taught and have been taught that he's talking about Jesus. You lost Jesus. That's probably true. When you lose Jesus, probably everything else just starts to go downhill from there. The word there is agape. You've lost your agape. And then the next verse is kind of strange if you make it Jesus, because he says, do the deed you did at first. And I started thinking about, you know, it probably has to do with Jesus, but... I'm thinking he's talking about your first passion that you had. You you've made it's grown cold and um, you've lost the first way that you love people. Listen follow me. The next verse describes the first verse. It says, "Do the deeds you did it first." I think it's talking about the expression of agape. You've lost your expression of agape. Do the deeds give back the expressions of agape that you had in the beginning? I remember when I got saved, I was saved one day, and Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door, two of them. Well, I was was in the Jesus Movement. I had never been to church before. So I couldn't tell you one religion from another. And they, they knocked at the door, and I was saved one day, and I had an incredible salvation experience. So I opened the door, and they got the watchtower, which I have no idea what the watchtower is. And they go, hi, uh, we've come to, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Extend the kingdom, oh, kingdom of God. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I threw the screen door open, they backed up. I grabbed them both, I hugged them, (laughs) I totally did. I hugged them, I had them both, one on each arm, you know, I'm, I'm 18. And I said, I'm so glad you're here. I just received Jesus yesterday. He came into my life and just restored my soul. And I was like hugging them both. And they were like really like, I didn't realize it until they walked away, but they were like hovering two rocks. And I was just like, I didn't even think about that until they left. I'm like Oh, you guys are so awesome. It's so great that you guys have the enthusiasm to like go door to door. But everybody know what's going on with us. <laughs> And they're like, uh, well, uh, well, well, here's two watchtowers. Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I took them and I was just like, this is so cool. People have the, they actually have the passion to go door to door talking about the love of God. And they both, they didn't say anything to me about anything. They just, they were so nervous. They handed me the two watchtowers and they almost ran off my porch. <laughs> And I walked in, I've been trying to get my mom to get saved, and I walked in, I said, Mom, this is so exciting. I received Jesus yesterday, and they already sent people to come and talk to me. <laughs> and my mom, you know, my, my mom's not a Christian, but she's got a clue. <laughs> she says to me, well, what do they give you? I said, they give me two Bible stories. And my mom's like, that's a watchtower. Those aren't Christians, those are Jehovah's Witnesses. I go, oh, mom, we all love God. She goes, never mind. <laughs> never mind. You'll figure it out. <laughs> Whoa. Yay! What would happen if we just went back to actually like yes. what, di- doing the deeds of agape that we did it first? You see people when they get in the baptismal tank? They say the craziest things. I love it. I think it's so awesome. <laughs> Uh, tell us about your spirit. I just love God, I just want everybody to know. I'm like, yeah, that's what it's like.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, you walk in the church when you first get saved and you actually think people love you. Yeah! <laughs> it's amazing, you don't even know they have the same problems in the world. You're like, people are hugging you, you're like hugging them and you're like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> That's just amazing. <laughs> Romans 16 16, 2 Timothy 13 12, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2nd Chronic the 2nd Corinthians 13 12, 1 Corinthians 16 20, 1 Thessalonians 5 26, 1 Peter 5 14. You know what they all say? Greet one another with a holy kiss. it's pretty awesome careful how you do it around here I don't want that lipstick stuff man that (laughs) stuff I got to give you one one more piece before I'm done turn to first Samuel chapter 18 Now it came about when he had finished speaking, speaking of David to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as he loved himself. Saul took him that day and did not, speaking of David, Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him, and he gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt, so that David went out whenever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul sent, and Saul set him over the men of war. It's so crazy because people that are Um, struggling with homosexuality and are trying to be Christians. I've heard these verses use to um, to license what they're doing. (laughs) And yet, God makes it totally clear. Just read Romans 1. Just clears all that up. Revelations make it really clear. And I I don't want to harp on homosexuality because there's people in this room that are struggling with it. It's no different from struggling with pornography. It's no different from struggling with lying. It's a sin. It needs to be out of your life. And no one needs to hate homosexuals. That's stupid. You know what happens when you start hating homosexuality? I mean, when you start hating homosexuals instead of homosexuality? You play right into their cycle. Because you know why you're there? Because they're looking for love in all the wrong places and you just withdrew yours and you just add it to the problem. Do you realize that? Christians are adding to the homosexual problem. When will we ever learn? Now if we, you know, try to treat symptoms, the problem just going to get worse. I mean, these problems with those people are just like the problems with every other person. They need to be loved. But here we go. Look at what he did. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as he loved himself. You know. Oh, man, that's perversion. Oh, that's really weird, isn't it? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as? Oh, wow. That's in the Bible? I mean, one guy practiced it and got famous for it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you realize that what Jonathan did is what you're supposed to be doing with everybody? And he gave him his robe, his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gave him his robe. He let his friend get the glory. Do you know that part of love's expression is that someone else gets the glory instead of you? I shared this the other night, but you know what it's like when you someone goes, you know what, man, I've been working so hard. I've been working 12 hours a day, and I've been putting in all these hours. And you go, well, I've been working 13 Man, it's been really tough, you know, I'm raising two kids. Well, I've had four. It's like, you know, let someone else wear the robe, baby. It's part of love. So you raised four. So you worked 70 hours, and they work 60, and they're tired at 60. And, you know, you just want to let them know that you worked 70. Or when I was a boy. Well, who gives a rip about when you were a boy? Let them have the glory let them wear the robe what's wrong with that and i'm going to tell you something not just the robe they came with give them yours you know you worked 70 and they worked 50 and they're exhausted and they're like i'm so tired i worked so hard and you're thinking oh man that ain't hard let me tell you back in my grandfather's day it's like get a life put the robe on them give them some honor I'm so awesome i'm so proud of you you worked 50 hours man that's tough Tell me about that. You know, what happened there? Are you following me? It's like, let people. It doesn't matter that you did greater or you did more or you had greater. Man, we have gold dust in our church. Well, yeah, we have feathers and gold dust. We had someone shake and fall down. We had a healing in our church. Well, we had 50 last week. Do you know, what happens when I go to churches, they just want to. Like, hey, they they hear, you know, Bethel, Chris comes from Bethel. He'll be impressed by this. You know, we had a healing last week. And I'm thinking, so what? And and I'm like, I got to put the robe on them. I'm like, that's awesome. How did it happen? I prayed for a man. His headache went completely away, completely away. (laughs) And I, you know what's in my mind? I want to tell him about the five wheelchairs that got emptied what, two months ago by one of the congregation. And I'm like, I gotta restrain myself so love can flow. Yeah, that's, right. that's awesome. You prayed for someone whose headache just went away like that. Yeah, he was so, he was so taken back by God. Isn't that cool? That's really awesome. I've been going through two weeks. I'd love to get a headache healed. I've been praying for people. How's your symptoms? Still the same. Oh, it'll be gone in six months. It ought to be gone by then. <laughs> but are you following me? It's like, let somebody else get the glory. It's all right. Proverbs says, let another praise you, not you yourself. You know, and it happens, you know, when we're praising our church. It's awesome. I love being here. I think this is the best church in the whole world. I don't honestly mean that. But when I go other places and you know, like we travel a lot, I gotta let them get the glory. I'm like looking for something to say, that was awesome. He gave him his armor, he became vulnerable. Love means I gotta take off my armor. When we're in a relationship, you know, it's like I might have to put it back on before I go out there, but I can't have intimacy with you with this armor on. I gotta take off my armor. Man, I, oh man, people are so full of walls. You can't get inside there. It's like you want to have a friendship. Some of you like are starving for friendship. I don't know why I can't make friends. You've got to take off that armor. You leave the armor on when you're with your enemies, not when you're with your friends. You know, we should have a big old sign at the front of that door that says, leave your armor outside. We got the, you know, can't drink in here and can't eat in here. People do it anyway, but leave your armor outside. We ought to have a little rack for bows and spears and, 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 and swords. And another one that says, you know, instead of coat hanger, says, hang your armor right here. So you walk in, you can be real. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, you don't look like you're doing. I, no, it's like... Everybody's doing great. i never met so many great people who run to the line every time we have prayer.
1: <laughs>
0: and stand up, how many of you are having a hard time, oh, yeah, but I met you at the door, you told me you're doing great. Gosh, you know what it sounds like when we hug, Dying. I have banging pots. we don't have to worry about sexual impurity we're all like, we look like a bunch of tin cans walking around we gotta look stupid at heaven it creates some kind of culture where people are like, I'm oh, wonderful, you're wonderful everybody's wonderful how you really doing? man, I'm terrible, my wife just left me why did you say that? I don't know, cling <laughs> I was just someplace in, in the last couple of months, and we, we did a conference there. And Afterwards, the guy said, you know, give me some input, you know, this senior guy. Give me some input. What do you think of the conference? And I'm like, "Most well, one of those you've got to find something positive to say kind of conferences. And so I was just trying to, like, well, here's some ideas. Like, I got about three words out, and he started talking, well, the reason I do that and this is, you know, I thought you asked me for my input. You know, you didn't want my input. You just wanted me to tell you how wonderful you are. I didn't understand that. No, I mean, I understood it after he, like, gave me like the 15 minute lecture about why everything that I, I started to say, I mean, I maybe got, I maybe actually did get a sentence out and I got a 15-minute lecture on why he did it that way. I'm like, why did you ask for my input? I I was fine not saying anything. Well, <laughs> Clang! Well, you know, we clanged for just a minute, then I'm like, you know, this conversation's over. I just let him preach to me. He preached to me for another 45 minutes, and I just, okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, glad you enjoyed the conference. <laughs> So, you know, we gotta like take all that armor off. You wanna have a relationship with somebody, you gotta like get vulnerable. You know? That thing that's protecting you, it's also keeping love out. That thing, nothing can get in there, you know. Uh, swords and spears won't get you, but neither will love. I mean, Cupid's been shooting your self for quite some time, and you probably haven't felt any of that. Arrows of love in your heart. Twang! (laughs) And he gave him a sword. His sword. His sword. He gave him his sword. Which means, you know, and we know that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, but we know words are swords. When you use the Word of God, that's the big S sword, and when you use the Your words, they're the little s-sword. Words are swords. Hopefully you use God's, but if you don't use God's, then you use yours. And he gave him his sword. Are you getting this? He told him things about himself that could be used against him. Honey, it's going to get better. (laughs) I love you. Okay. It's her birthday, man. She wants to walk out in my sermon. She can walk out in my sermon. He gave him his sword. What's that mean? It means he told him things about himself. He gave him words that could be used against him. He told him about his life. He probably told him about some of his failures. When we give words, when we give our sword to people, we become vulnerable and then we give them ammunition in which they can destroy us if they so choose because we have no armor on. And we just gave them some ammunition that they could use against us. And we said, in the midst of that, I'm building trust by giving you ammunition in which you can hurt me and taking off my armor and saying, I trust you. Because trust is a vehicle in which friendship grows. And in order to trust, I have to show you, look, I'm laying down my weapons. And I start that. Jonathan was a very mature believer. In some ways, he showed more maturity than David. He was the one who initiated this whole relationship. He said, here, David. And you know what's amazing? Jonathan was heir to the throne, and he gave David the right to rule. He said, I know that I'm heir to the throne, but I give it to you. Wouldn't it be amazing? Some people are like, how do I build a friend? Some girls are like, how do I get a guy to like me? Be vulnerable. I'm not talking about morally. Be vulnerable. Open up. Tell them what's in your heart. Put the robe on them. Girls, look, number one way, get a date. Care about what they think. Put your robe on them. Here you go, you can have the glory, let them win games. Even though you can whip them and you know it. If they arm wrestle you, don't give them all your strength. That is not good. Let them whip you. You can beat them when you get married. Give me that robe. gave him his bow and gave him his belt, the belt of truth. We're commanded to speak to one another the truth in love. And he gave David the ability to speak truth to him in love. Some people, when Kathy and I first got married, we came out of such dysfunctional homes. I shared this the other day, but we made an agreement the week before we got married that we would never argue. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you understand I'm pretty easy going, but Kathy, (laughs) that's a whole other issue. She spent a lot of time holding her tongue. Doesn't that sound spiritual-like, you know, how are you guys doing? We never argue. We didn't, you know what we did? We cursed each other with the inability to speak truth to one another. We said that having peace, which our definition of peace was the absence of argument, not the presence of the king of peace. That so was a huge difference. Because the peace of God isn't the absence of conflict, it's the presence of God. Because it's the peace that surpasses understanding. How many of you ever experienced the peace of God when things are crazy and you should be totally afraid, but the peace of God's right on you? Holy. We cursed ourselves because we took away the vehicle in which to disagree. And we said, we won't disagree. Well, we disagreed, but we just didn't talk about it. We didn't. We, we weren't. We didn't allow our friendship to carry the belt of truth with it. And if you want true friendship, then listen. Here's the difference. Follow me for a minute. Jonathan gave his belt to David. Some people you come into friendship with, and you think that friendship is being able to tell the truth to one another, but they didn't give you their belt. They gave you no permission to speak truth in their life. And so you say, you know, I, I had a friendship and I tried to speak truth in their life. Yeah, they didn't give you permission to do that. You need permission. Because you know what happens when you try to speak truth in someone's life and they didn't ask you for it? They didn't give you that permission? It becomes control and manipulation. How many have ever lived in that land? I know that land well. I bought a parcel there. Yeah, I can't speak truth to you if you ever given me permission to do that. Amen. All right. No, I want you, listen. You know, normally we have you stand up or like come forward or whatever. I don't really give a rip if you do any of that. I just want you to spread the goo. I want you to like learn how to love. I want you to like get over what your dad did to you, what your mother did to you, what your grandfather, in my case what my grandfather did to the kids. You know what? I want to tell you something. I don't mean this harshly at all, but that's the past and get over it. I don't mean like, okay, wake up tomorrow, get over it. I mean get some sort of strategy to get over it. If you need help, go get help. If you need to confess, go confess. Whatever, whatever you need. It's like your stumbling blocks can become your stepping stones. You decide if you're going to stumble over them or if they're going to take you up to another level. Because you said, you know what? I got over it. It was a stumbling block, but it became a stepping stone. I'm not being cruel. I used to, when I was young, get over it. You know, I met enough people to realize that some people just don't get over it. But you know what? You can get over it. Your God has an ability to do the impossible. I'm not just giving you some. I mean, look, I was crazy. And I'm almost well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you want to say you're well, but then it's, well, well, you don't know this about yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I've been given you permission to tell me that either.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, create some strategy. You know, whatever your problem is, go find some wise counselors. You know, and by wise counselors, I mean, you know, in abundance of, of counselors, there's wisdom. I don't think you ask five people the same question until you get the answer you wanted to hear. You ask somebody who has victory in that area of their life. If you're having problems with your family, your your husband acts like an idiot, go find someone who's got a really good family, who knows what they're doing, and go, Hey, can you tell me, here I am, I'll leave my armor at the door, here's my spear, you can take it, here's my robe, I give you authority in my life, tell me what you do to make your kids obey and your husband love you. Well, you know I do. Oh, yeah. Well, I've done that. I've I've baked them. Shut up and listen.
1: Great conference.
0: Yeah, great conference. I'm telling you, how many of you have been the people, and how many of you have heard people that you they they ask for your advice, and before you can get five words out, they tell you they've tried that 85 times. It's like, shut up. I'm not done yet. You know what I'm saying? It's like what I'm getting at is not it's not that they're interrupting, it's that they haven't taken their armor off, they're unlistening. They didn't give me things to pierce their heart with. I'll keep these and you and you fix me. It's like you gotta take all that stuff. Oh, I'm not gonna talk to you while you're holding that gun.
1: <laughs>
0: How many of you have been that? I've been I've been vulnerable at times, and you know, someone comes in my business when I during the years when we were struggling. And, you know, I was very sensitive to like, you know, someone comes in and go, you know, if you do it, yeah, well, let me tell you about the 45 things we did. It's like, okay, I see you don't want help. You know, you want help, you got to be vulnerable. I, I went in to help somebody this week in a session that Danny had with a friend of ours. And they were just kind of going through a struggle. And I said, you know, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And I was in there for 45 minutes. Danny invited me in. When I got all done with those things, she said she was very gracious. She goes, that's really good. Danny looks over and she goes, she's already done all that. We've been working on that for a while. Uh I'm really sorry. And she looked at me, and she's like, you know, like she invited me in deeper. Do you have anything else? And then the Lord brought a little nugget out. And she's like, now that feels true. But you know what happened? Because we're friends, she didn't put her armor on, even though I was hurting her. I don't say that's okay. I'm just saying, she she's like, I still trust you. I know you have my best in mind, even though you've wounded me a couple of times here. And do you have anything else? Well, I got this. Oh, that's the one we've been waiting for. Thank you. She was willing to wade through that because we have a friendship. She's like, No, that wasn't right. No, that's not accurate. No, those three things you think that need to be done, those things I've been working on for a year. Well, you need to do this. I I did that. And this is what it looked like. And I've been doing it for a year. Oh, that's I kept saying, Oh, that's really good. I'm really proud of you. (laughs) I looked over at Danny, like, why'd you invite me in here? But you know what? She left with something, not because I was so kind, but because we have her friendship, and she was willing to leave the door open. It's like, if you got anything else, you got any other ideas? Even though your first three ideas weren't the best, you got anything else that you could tell me? I was like, wow. I would have closed my doors way before that, but she left them open. We hope you have enjoyed this session. For more information, please visit our website at www.MoralRevolution.com.